0: Amen. He is faithful. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. My name is Justin, one of the elders, uh, pastors here at Peninsula Grace, and uh, we're glad, glad to be here together celebrating the faithfulness of our God. We're going to talk about a a message, uh, a passage today that I've titled the sermon, uh, Reunited, and it feels so good. I've mostly just did that to be able to sing that song. Uh, But we, you know, not only is there, do we believe biblically there is a call to unity, Within our church family here at Peninsula Grace, we also believe that that call expands to unity with our brothers and sisters around the world and here in Kenai and Soldatna. And one little way, one little way that we can work that out is helping others when they're in need. Burtridge Community Church lives, just operates, worships down the street at Echo Lake. And they have a roof that people who insure them say that it will not withstand another winter. And so they've been displaced from their church, their physical building, uh, for the winter uh, because that roof is coming out. They're going to redo the roof and redo uh, basically the whole building. And so they've been over at Cook Inlet Academy for a while uh, in the afternoons over there. But then Cook Inlet Academy is redoing their floor. And so they're displaced from their displacement place. And so now uh, they've, they're, they're coming here. And so today, starting at, uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, Bertridge is going to be meeting uh, right where we're all sitting, worshiping the same God. Amen. Um, and so we're just, we welcome them in. And they're going to be here uh, starting today, and they're going to run through Christmas. So five weeks, they're going to be with us. And we just wanted to say that, man, full-throated, yes and amen, uh, if there is a church in this town that is preaching the same gospel as us, uh, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, Right. And so we want to do this together. And one of the main reasons, other than just saying, hey, we're on board with this, we love them. Um, also, uh, we, at the end of our service, you all are very well trained to pick up your chairs and move them over to the sides of the walls. Today, we're going to leave those chairs there so that Birchridge uh, can sit in those chairs and then somebody from their local church can serve you likely heard the story if you've been in church uh, for a long, much time at all. Um, It's a younger son who demands the inheritance from his father, which normally you didn't get that until your father died. And so this was an ancient way of saying, I wish you were dead. It was like an anti-get-well card. So if I I came to my parents and, and I knew I was getting their house when they died and I just said, I actually want your house now and I'll drive you to the assisted living center myself. All right, this is the kind of com- what was being communicated to his father. He takes his money. He goes to Jewish Las Vegas where he li- living in La Vida Loca. And he blows it on slots and prostitutes and eventually gets to a place where he is eating the slop of the very pigs that he's been hired to feed. And he realizes what he's done. And he heads home with his tail tucked between his legs. He's rehearsing on the way home. Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I spit in your face and I know that. Would you please even just let me be like your slave? I know I don't deserve to be your son, but I'm sorry. And his dad, says he was sitting there, he's been watching by the window ever since his son left. And when he sees him walking down the driveway, he throws the door open and runs to his son. And he wraps his arms around his son. And he looks up to the heavens and says, my son is home. Let's kill the cow. It's steak night. Right? We're going to party with my boy. Then the older son, who's in the, back in the house, he hears uptown funk blaring outside. He goes, what in the world is happening? And he walks out and he sees everybody partying. And he looks at his dad and he sees his, the, the, his brother is back. He's not in a party mood at all. He's ticked off, and he comes to his dad, and he goes, are you kidding me? Like, I've been the good one at home this whole time, but now that Mr. Impatient Pants is back, you're having a steak night with him and partying with the neighbors? Are you kidding me? And what's going on here? It's a classic, classic tale of near and far. Anybody grow up with Sesame Street? Grover, Grover taught us this, right? How to be near and then far near and he just it was very empty room in fact i'm not even here preaching right that's why we're here but then maybe the older son the older son felt near right? He, he, he felt entitled because of his consistent proximity to his father, because he felt like he was performing well. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you went through Awanas. You were, you were sp- Cubbies and Sparkies, and, and you had the, the crown with all the little jewels in it. You memorized your verses every single week. You were an Awana legend, okay? Maybe every morning you spend five hours in the Word. Like you read the whole Bible every day and pray for everybody on earth twice. Like you're amazing, right? And maybe you're like, I've been here the whole time, God. And yet why are things still not going my way? Maybe you feel entitled to God because you've been close. You've been in church. You've been doing good things but you say, I'm still not happy. Life's still not going the way I wanted it to. I'm still discontent. I'm still frustrated. I'm still bored. I'm still unfulfilled. I'm still bored. I already said that. I'm still angry. I'm still bitter, right? Look at what the father says to the older son. This is how he sums up the story. Father told him, look, dear son, this is the older son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And what he's telling the older son is, you both have the same access to my unconditional love as your father. Not because of your proximity or lack thereof. Not because of your good performance or your bad performance. Because you are my boy's I think the implication here to the older son, and Jesus, by the way, is talking to the Pharisees who represent the older son in this story, is that those who think that they are near to the Father are actually in themselves just as far off as the prodigal and need the same unconditioned, circumcised by those called, in some translations say the so-called, the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. All right, so... Circumcision was God's sign to physically mark the people of Israel. Now now the the Jews, therefore, they called the Gentiles the uncircumcised. They often meant this as a derogatory slur. This wasn't an observation. They were actually putting them down. So like my people, my my grandfather comes from Italy, back in the day the Italians were often referred to as a wop. Which I've heard that meant without papers. Like we showed up to, the, to America and didn't have the right papers. But as I researched that, I don't think it's actually the etymology. It actually comes from the word guapo. So wap comes from guapo, which guapo means handsome. So I like that one better. <laughs> Y'all are just jealous of our good looks. So you, you put us down to make yourself feel better, right? Go to therapy. Now, um, we... There's a derogatory term here that they're using toward the Gentile. Now let's remember, God called Israel out from the nations to be holy. That word means set apart from the other sinful nations. He commanded them to drive out the wicked nations in the land of Canaan. That would be the promised land. He commanded them not to intermarry with the other nations because he knew that they would in that process give their hearts to the false worship of other gods. He called them to be holy, to separate themselves from sin... ...and that through these people, through the the people of Israel... God would send his king, his rescuing king, his Messiah, for the whole world. But in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be included in God's special covenant promises to Israel, you had to be what was called a proselyte. You had to enter into the, the people of Israel's covenant. And that meant circumcision, if you were a male, and then your family was included in that. And you had to follow their rules, the, the law of Moses. That was God's covenant with those people. But Israel got a little cocky, as people do, and they started looking their noses down at these Gentiles. They saw them as, as, as unclean. And in fact, one of the rabbis, which is a Jewish teacher, he actually said this, Gentiles were created simply to fuel the fires of hell. Now, that's a warm fuzzy. It can also mean a game that I do not understand. <laughs> and it can also mean to smash something, right? So depending on its context. Here, Paul uses the word flesh. And the word flesh can mean physical body. Like my, my physical body is my, I'm in my flesh. And then you could also use that to refer to your sin nature or your desires or practices that are not in, in accord with God's heart. And this is what Paul's doing here. He says, my, my fellow Jews, um, that you're calling these Gentiles out for being in the flesh, meaning you're sinners, you're unclean. But you are only circumcised in the flesh. And the second time he's you're saying, you're, it's done by human hands. There's a physical circumcision. Don't worry, we're almost done with saying circumcision a lot. Um, then you, Israel, it, you too are actually still in the flesh, in sin, if all you've ever done is be physically Circumcised. There's a deeper truth that the faith act of physical circumcision is pointing to. Jeremiah points this out in Jeremiah 4. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, Israel. But not. he's not talking about our flesh. He says, circumcise your hearts. You people of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. So what's he saying? The true change, to so circumcise means to cut off. What needs to be cut out, cut off from your life, is your sin. It's the evil that you've done. That's what you need to be removed from. He's not just talking about flesh. In fact, just circumcising your flesh will not in and of itself bring you any closer to God. So we take this home to where we are today. He's saying, just like being physically near, if you're, a, if you're a Jew by birth, if you live in the promised land, and just like for us today, if you are in the church building, attending church, that will not make you a Christian, any less, as you probably heard, me sitting in a g- garage makes me a car, right? We can be physically near, but still be very spiritually or relationally distant, from God, and from others. My wife likes to call this being a... How did we get near again? It's through, of course, the person of Jesus. So imagine for a second, you're standing before a wall, and this wall is higher than you could ever climb, it's wider than you could ever circumnavigate, it's it's thicker than you could ever punch through. There's no way to... This thing is even, like, if you touch it, you're electrocuted and die. Like, there's no way to get on the other side of this wall. Now, you are so close... Right, you're like it's just on the other side. It's just this one wall between you and the other side, and yet, and you even have the blueprint. You have the wall blueprint in front of you. You know all about that wall. You could teach a wall seminar. And you look at somebody behind you. They're like a, a hundred miles or hundred. Let's go. Let's go hundred yards. You can see them. Hundred yards behind you. And you look at them and you kind of scoff. <laughs> you're so much farther away from the other side of the wall than I am, <laughs> you loser. And you don't even have the wall blueprints. You're a wall ignoramus, right? Now, of course, this is absurd. Like, I'm closer to the wall, but neither one of us are any closer to being on the other side of the wall. There is a dividing wall of sin between us and God that could only be penetrated by a perfect life. Israel was near. They had the blueprint. They had the law, right? But they couldn't obey it. They were just as hopeless as the prodigal Gentiles 100 yards behind them. And God knew that, right? God wasn't thrown off by this. God knew that the people of Israel could not actually be the Savior of the world, but they could birth the Savior of the world. And that's why Paul says Jesus came to do what you and I could never do. He says, but now in Christ, you were outsiders, but now in Christ, Jesus, you who are far have been brought Near. How? By the blood of Jesus. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, in his body, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. There's a lot. Now, what's the result? What's the result? What we now have is peace with God. We have peace with God. Now, in the Jewish temple, there were like layers of access into God's symbolic presence there in the Holy of Holies. There was the Holy of Holies that only a high priest could go into once a year and only with the blood of a, an innocent lamb, an uh, innocent animal. And then there was the holy place, right? And then there was the, the place where people from, from Israel could come and worship. And then outside of that, there was what they called the Court of the Gentiles. And this, as you would imagine, is where the Gentiles have to stop. That There was a literal wall separating where the Gentiles could be and then where only the Jews had access to And there was actually this inscription on that wall that separated them that basically warned the Gentiles that they only had themselves to blame if they died for trying to enter into that space. At the time, you had to be a Jew to enter into God's presence there at the temple. But what does Paul say he did? What did Jesus do in verse 14? He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus smashed that wall. And why did he do that? Well, look, he continues his thought. So that. Here's why Jesus did what he did. So that he might create in himself one new man from the two, the Jew and the Gentile, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far and peace to those who were near. For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Our great high priest tore the veil to give us access to God. That neither, did you notice here the words both? That we both are reconciled to God. That we both have access. That it was the Jew and the Gentile who were equally lost without Jesus. That equally needed Jesus to save them, to bring them back into the presence of God. Than nobody. So the, t- the new man is not saying I'm new in Christ, which is true, but here he's saying one new corporate, not just individual, that all of us together are the body of Christ. I could explain it this way. I usually work better talking about the Power Rangers. Anybody Power Ranger fans? It's a safe place. It's a safe place, right? I know I didn't like them. My little brother liked them. I didn't like them. He, like, I would walk by the back of the couch when he was watching Power Rangers, and I kept forgetting something and going back to the living room. And then going back to the living room, and I really thought Power Rangers was awesome. It was, it was my favorite. But um, so in, in Power Rangers would, they have these things called Zords. And these Zords are these like dino robots that they would get into to fight the bad guy. And they each had their like, Mastodon, Pterodactyl. Uh, so I've heard, right? That was, I think, what, they, what Jeremy said they said. Anyway, uh, so they go fight the bad guy. And they didn't have enough power in their individual Zords to beat the bad guy. But then there was more, you guys. They could become a Megazord. And all the dinosaurs would combine their powers. And they'd get together as this one new man. And they would, in one blast, wipe out the bad guy. So I was always like, why don't you just start with the Megazord? <laughs> like, why'd you waste all that time? I was like, oh yeah, they have to fill 22 minutes, right? So they, they let us, us down that road every single time. But he, here's the, the beautiful example that I've just painted for you. In Jesus, right, we, as a believer in Christ, we, we have, we're a new, like, we're a Zord, Right? But together in Christ, he says, he's built us up to be this megazord. That we are actually one body. Now, this is what's crazy about this. These Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Remember what the Jews were saying about the Gentiles? And the Gentiles didn't think much more fondly of the Jews. And now he says, you guys are one body. Think about the intimacy that that describes. Being one body, the harmony, the way you have to work together and like each other and stand each other's presence. He says, you're one body now. He also says, you're the family of God. Now, Paul's riffing on these th- three categories that have been very familiar to the church there in Ephesus. He says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. Now, in Ephesus, um, 200,000 people living in Ephesus at the time, which would have been a m- metropolis by their standards, well, it was a- about less than 1,000 of them probably had citizenship. So you're talking a half of a percent of the people had the full protection and privilege of a citizen. So there's a, there's a weight here, a stunning weight. When Paul tells the church in Ephesus, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. He says, you now dwell in the city of God and will never be driven out. You have the dignity and protection of a permanent city, citizen. But then, he, even more stunning, he says, and members of God's household. He, he moves from a, a political analogy to a family one. Now, again, in, in their day, in the Greco-Roman world, families included uh, orphans that you would bring in, widows that you were called to bring in, slaves that you had in your house, which, which is a little bit different than how we think of slavery today. But this is why they use the term household, because it wasn't just physical family. It was, it was all those kind of living together. But... We are called into this household, he says, not as slaves. What what do we see back in in chapter 1, verse 5? We have been adopted in Christ as full heirs, as sons and daughters of our Father God. And fittingly, basically what Paul is telling a Roman world is the Olive Garden slogan, right? When you're here, you're family, uh, it's very Italian, again, us guapos. We're very welcoming people. Uh, so, but, so we think, so act like it, right? No more of this Gentiles or hellfire fuel stuff, right? Get along, be nice, play well in the sandbox, you knuckleheads. And the final thing is we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. His last analogy is one of construction. He is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building being built being put together, uh, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Now, the church here at Ephesus, when they hear temple language, remember if you were in the city of God, Revelation 21, I love this, it says there is no, there is no physical temple there. Why? He says because God's presence himself will be in the new Jerusalem, dwelling with us full citizens of his forever city. And to this day, and until Jesus returns, he is adding stones from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation to this temple. And this, guys, is our central calling. This is our mission. This is our purpose, to go into all the world and add body parts to the body, add citizens to God's city, add add family members to his home, and add stones to this building that he indwells. This links us back to what we saw last week in verse 10. We are his workmanship. Jesus has created us to be a part of this process of growing his family, this new temple indwelt by the Spirit. But what we see here in the second half of, of Ephesians is that we've got to work together to accomplish this. We said that we're, no, no, we're not lone ranger Christians, that we're actually called to do this. We cannot accomplish God's purposes if we're not united now the Ephesian church was filled with all different ethnicities, with different culture, different backgrounds, beliefs, idea, economic status, the whole gamut, just like the church today. And like Jill and I, we had to learn, when we come together, we brought different backgrounds, different ways we do things, right? Never causes any conflict at all. Uh, man, but now we're one flesh. We're one new family. So what does it look like for us to live life? And I love, the, there's actually only one command word in this whole passage that we read today. It was three words in. He says, so then remember. The call here, brothers and sisters, or not yet brothers and sisters, is to remember. And remember we said, what's the therefore, therefore? Always look back. He says, so then, remember. So, so what? Well, then, let's look back at the verses 1 through 10. What did he say last week? Remember, you were dead in your sin You were drowning in the pool, but God, by his grace alone, made us alive, rescued us out of the floodwaters of death, and have seated us slave. Like, maybe pay him off if I did enough good things, but there's no way he's just going to welcome me back as his son or as his daughter. Paul says here, remember. Remember, you were without hope and without God, but now in Christ, he says, you are. You have been brought near, by the blood of Christ. We're going to sing a song after this. Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. No one is. That's grace. The only thing that we bring is our own lack we come to God with an empty hand to be filled by His grace. We come to God with dirty hands that He cleans with the blood of Jesus. We come with a sinful heart that He removes the circumcision of our hearts and replaces it with the beating heart of Jesus that always and only obeys His Father. That's grace. Maybe you feel like the older brother. Maybe you feel like you've been checking all the boxes. I'm good, right? I was born in the right family. Maybe even living off of your parents' spirituality. My, my, my spouse is a pretty good Christian. Don't I kind of just suck that through like osmosis or something? Or maybe we've kind of done the outward form of circumcision where we, we go to church and we don't do anything too bad. Paul says, remember, remember, you are just as without hope outside of the person of Christ. It doesn't matter if you go to church every Sunday until you die. It doesn't matter if you give 80% of your income away to charity. It doesn't matter if you never say a swear word again. We can only be reconciled to God through the cross and the empty tomb. The question is, have you personally repented of your sin and thrown yourself wholly on the mercy of God through the finished work of Jesus? Second question is, what is keeping you from seeing another person, another human, the other, as a full citizen, as a, as a saint or as a, as a member of God's household, fellow citizen or a family member, fellow believer? Maybe they have a different belief than you. Or not. We're not talking about gospel issues, right? We're talking about secondary, third-level issues, right? They see things differently than you. Maybe they have a different personality that just rubs you the wrong way. Maybe someone who has not treated you well. Maybe somebody who dares to cheer for the wrong sports team, right? I know by the grace of God only can I welcome UNC fans into this building. right? But God is good all the time. Anyone who professes Jesus as Lord and Savior is one who is fully accepted into his family, and therefore, I am to accept as well. And this includes our attitude. Like maybe you're not physically kicking people out, bouncing them at the door or whatever, but what about freezing people out? What about not treating someone with the kindness and patience that our God treats us with? And maybe this means a more proactive, like after the service, maybe it's coming up to someone who's kind of off by themselves, just welcoming them. Hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, I haven't met you yet. Or maybe you're another new person. Instead of dashing out the door right away, I see you, I see you, right? It's it's seeing someone else who looks lost and say, hey, they might be new too, right? And So go say hi to them. Or maybe you see someone who's sad and is coming over to console them. Give a hug if they consent, right? We've we got to love each other as the family of God. We've got to proactively come alongside family members. When it comes to unity, there's two ditches to avoid here. I think on the one side, we can swerve into the ditch of relativism, this idea of a you do you. Um, our culture teaches a lot about a false peace, where it's this you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe, we'll kind of all hold hands, sing kumbaya. And maybe some of you get a little twitchy. Maybe some of you get a little uneasy when I call us to love the Democrat or the transgender. And you say, man, our pastor is going woke, right? Breathe out, okay? We are not going to waver from the gospel. Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is what Paul teaches in Acts 13. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, not suggested This is our marching order. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember when we studied Daniel, and we said we are to be in the world, not of the world. We are to go out into the world and to be salt and light, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This means we don't go out feeling morally superior to those out there, just to offer condemnation and remind them of what we're against. We are actually going out with a lifeline to say, would you join us? Would you discover the rescuer that I too have discovered that you were no farther away, no more hopeless to get on the other side of the wall than I was. Remember, we were just as cut off and without hope. Brothers and sisters, through Jesus alone, that we can get through that wall into intimacy with God. And the gospel, so brilliantly, it both humbles the arrogant who think they are near, and it lifts up the chin of the humiliated who feels way too far off. That Jesus Christ, he became a foreigner so that I could become a citizen of heaven. That Jesus became sin so that I could be called a saint. That Jesus had his own temple torn down so that we could be built up into something new and beautiful in him. That Jesus absorbed the wrath and hostility of the father so that I could now in peace rush into his lap and call him daddy. That, That Jesus was cut off that he, was, that he was physically, he, that spiritually he was... Rem- Why have you forsaken me, God? So that those of us who were cut off spiritually, whether physically circumcised or not, could be brought near to have access again to God, to be reunited. And it feels so good. Gethsemane does not gain them any merit badge, get them any brownie points, get them any closer to God outside of what Jesus has done for them and who Jesus is in and through them. And Lord, would you unite us as a body that we would be able to learn of the forgiveness toward one another that's only available in Jesus, that we would love both those in our family and those yet to be in our family. Would you unite us as Peninsula Grace? Would you unite us as churches around the Kenai Peninsula with Bertridge and College Heights and and the Bible Chapel? That as your corporate body comes together as one, the world will know that you love it and have sent Jesus to die for it.